Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. Chapter 20, On the Ropes. November 28th, Your Mission. LT called James, John, Tony and I over to the fraternity house on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. When we got there, LT broke into a dialogue about our next event. Hey guys, you may have heard about some of this from other brothers, but this is what you need to know for your next event. It is called Postulant Theater. You need to buy a keg for us with the money you've saved from the parties you've thrown this year. You'll use the rest of the money to get us party favors and a stripper or two. It may seem like a hard task, but every class before yours has found a stripper. LT said, You must do whatever is needed to get a stripper for the party, or you all will be beyond hating it. You might as well blackball yourselves if you let that happen. You would be the first pledge class in Sig Age history to not get strippers for us. The stripper is the most important priority, then the keg is second, and drugs are third. Well, LT explained to us that the stripper was the most important priority. I couldn't help but think that I wasn't even old enough to go inside a strip club. LT continued, You will also have to create skits and entertain us as well. Have fun with this night. It's a thank you party to the brothers and should be treated as such. It's your night to make fun of us through your skits and to honor us for all we have taught you throughout the semester. Oh, and you also need to buy paddles for your big brothers. The paddle ceremony is this Sunday. Make sure you wear dress clothes. When we left LTs, we talked about the possibilities of who we were going to get to strip for us. It would be challenging to find a freshman in college to strip for a fraternity house full of guys. I'm sure it's probably easier with the internet now, but it was fucking hard to find a stripper back in the day, and I can't even imagine how hard it was for people 20 years before us. Now these motherfuckers just have to Craigslist the townie. Yeah, but imagine if you were one of the classes of, like, 72, and they're like, go find some girls to strip for us. Might have been a bit harder then. I, I believe so. We didn't even talk about the paddle ceremony, because we had to focus on one event at a time. The go-to girls for John and I were Autumn and Tara. We knocked on their dorm room door and presented the idea to them. They said no, because they were too morally upstanding to strip for money. Bound and determined, John and I asked their sweetmates, two redneck girls from Danville, but they didn't want to strip either. Two of the only girls in Danville, I'm sure. Population 100. Wow. Defeated, we decided to end our search for the... I actually just looked it up. It's 44,605, which is in... Oh, Danville, California. Okay, stand by, since I already interrupted... <laughs> Try it. Try again. Since I already interrupted this, we're not talking about Danville, Cali. We're talking about Danville, Virginia. Virginia. Oh, wow, it actually has 41,000? But still not very many. Yeah, I guess. That's a small population. And for its small population, it has a 140% higher crime rate than Virginia's average crime rate. I'm in, I'm in Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg has Fredericksburg, Spotsylvania County, like this, like this area that I live in, three hundred thirty thousand people. So you're eleven times bigger than Danville. 
Yeah, Devil's a joke. <laughs> Evening. When I got back to the dorm, Paul looked panicked. Where have you been, bro? We have a disciplinary meeting in 30 minutes. I had no idea what he was talking about. He told me to check my email, so I did. Gina had sent us a message over Thanksgiving. It stated we violated two dorm room policies, theft of university property and destruction of university property. We were to meet with her on November 28th at 6 p.m. to discuss the findings. Paul and I spent the next 30 minutes trying to figure out what we had stolen and what we had broken. Okay, so just to put this in perspective, I had gone home on Thanksgiving, come back, and this chick was like, you have to meet my RA, my resident assistant. You have to meet me at this time. And I didn't even know what was happening. I just happened to come back. And my roommate's like, oh, thank God you're here. We have 30 minutes to figure this out. I'm like, figure what out? And, and you didn't even know what's going on. No, but I'm a perfect pledge. So I'm like, whatever it is, bro, I got it covered. No problem. We surmised that we had broken our screen and had stolen markers and posters. We came up with our defense and what we would say if we were asked certain questions. So because we didn't know what we had done to violate these things, we had to think of all the things we had done and then start thinking of countermeasures to each of them. It was it was kind of funny and kind of ridiculous, but it was like planning out a legal strategy in less than 25 minutes now. All right. If it's about the cat, then it wasn't our cat. If it's not about the cat, then we don't mention the cat and we talk about the <laughs> Exactly. Now, if they talk about the dog, we're fucked. So if they talk about the dog, just keep your mouth shut. Right. <laughs> but at this point, we've stolen the markers. We've gotten high on the roof. We played a little roof football. We've been sneaking in the back door after hours. That's true. We've been sneaking in the back doors after hours. We almost got busted on ice cream social. We've been smoking a ton of pot in the room. But when we left for break, what could they have found in the room? Well, I did steal those posters. And the markers, right? And the markers. And... What else? Hmm. We would say the screen was already broken, and we couldn't fix it. Nobody saw us take the markers, so we'd lie until death. As for the posters, we'd say we found them in the trash. Since they were in perfect shape, we saved them. When the meeting started, I could tell that Gina had it out for Paul and I, because we were popular alpha males. She was a natural hater. Some women, some people are just haters. It doesn't matter where you put them. They will try and bring down anyone that they don't like. Gina said we were called to a room to speak for ourselves on our two policy violations. Each violation could be a potential strike against us on campus. She reminded me that another strike would get me kicked out of school. This is like my everyday problem at Radford at the time. Meanwhile, the, the whole overarching, like... You're worried about getting kicked out of school and you haven't even gotten to the point where like outside of school, like the actual law. Right. Like you haven't got, like they're bigger fish to fry. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Like who cares about some fucking screens and stuff like that and making some noise? Like we got to think about larger things at hand. Right. When Gina started talking about the broken screen in our room, she must have thought it was her ace in the hole. She said, 
When we were inspecting your room over Thanksgiving break, we noticed your screen wasn't in your window. We measured it to prove that it didn't happen naturally. At this time, I don't even know if I include this in the next sentence, but she like holds up a diagram that her and another RA made of them measuring where it was and how we must have done it and that it couldn't have been any other force of nature or anything. So, Instead, it appears that the screen was removed and placed in a position away from the windowsill. We concluded that you both must have been going out on the roof. To do what? We have no idea. When she said she'd met... I like to push screens out of windows and go out on the roofs and look over the edge to remind myself that life can be grim sometimes, but I'm only a step away from death every day. <laughs> Bitch, you make me want to kill myself! <laughs> <laughs> ...measured where the screen landed. We knew that she was trying to stick it to us. She was a hateful person. Although hateful, her accusation was spot on. Luckily for us, it didn't matter if she was right. Only our own admission would prove that we'd broken the screen out of the window. Paul and I stuck together, like partners in crime, with our ironclad defense. Paul told Gina that the screen had always been broken. Gina asked him why he hadn't ever fixed it, and he said, We didn't want to go out on the roof. Maintenance isn't my responsibility. Isn't that what our room and board fees are for? I could tell that Gina got frustrated, because in her mind, she thought it would be a slam dunk. She asked why we didn't inform any maintenance staff. I argued that it wasn't like we saw janitors walking up and down the halls regularly. Paul said we didn't focus on the window. We are there for law and business school, not for window screen repair. Okay. That's a pretty sick burn. I'm here for business school, not <laughs> screen repair. <laughs> Air conditioner repair? <laughs> Okay, well, fine, Gina said. I will cross this one off, but you guys need to let us know when stuff breaks in your room. Onto the stolen property. We noticed that you had posters in your room that are only sold to educational institutions. We took them off your walls and destroyed Okay, how the fuck was I supposed to know that they only sell them to schools, right? First of all, that's a bullshit lie. Right? <laughs> That's you can get anything. Lie. If it's sold anywhere, you can get it. Literally in this room that I'm I'm sitting in, I have maps of the world, world maps that they sell specific I can't turn my computer to show you, but uh, there and there are maps that are school issue like color-coded maps of the America and the and the world. So North America. Long and short of it is even though it was bullshit, I had to go along with her lie, so here we go. Destroyed them. I said, oh, we didn't even notice. See why the screen's not a big deal to us? We aren't focused on the small stuff like you are. Gina argued. How did you get them in your room in the first place if they were only sold to universities? And how could you not notice something that was taken out of your room? We found them in the garbage downstairs. That was a sick little callback to me getting that kid kicked out of my room for stealing my change. Oh, yeah. Because good women never back. forget. Yeah, good callback. Someone had taken them off the walls and shoved them in the trash cans. And they were in perfect condition like that? I don't think so, Gina said. That's what we said. So we took them up here, 
put them under some books to flatten them out, and pin them up. I don't understand what the big deal was. Should we have left them in the trash? You wasted good posters. I don't believe for a second that they were in the trash, but I can't prove it either. Okay, let's just put this into perspective for a second. So she thought I stole these posters, which was true, but she didn't have evidence to blame me for doing it, other than finding them in my room, but she had no idea how I came to possess them in the first place. However, she then took them out of my room and destroyed them. So when you think about this, like, what if those were my fucking posters? Right, that would have been, that's exactly right, that's messed up. I will have to cross this off the list as well. You need to be more careful. We fixed the screen while you were gone. Let us know if you have any problems with it. We went back to our room and talked about how much Gina hated us. While we were talking, Paul told me that over break, I had milk that expired in our mini fridge. Not only had it expired, but somehow it had been knocked over and had run all over our floor. He asked me to please be more careful. Okay, so I understood my roommates kind of being bothered about the milk on the floor because it was my milk in the fridge. But you know that girl knocked over that milk while she was in there and didn't do fuck all about it. No doubt. Milk doesn't just knock itself over. I drink gallons of milk every day. I'll tell you what, I've never had a jug of milk knock itself over since that day. <laughs> I never believe I will. Well, I'll tell you what then, buddy. You're just not drinking milk right now. <laughs> I told him I thought Gina knocked it over. It wasn't like a jug would just tip itself over. While we were talking about Gina, I noticed she had missed a nugget of weed under my keyboard during her inspection. I had forgotten it was even there. If she would have found it, my third strike would have been a done deal. The night finished with John, Paul, and I smoking the weed I had found on the roof of the dorm. We continued to pop the screen out, even after Gina had tried to evict us for that very thing just a few hours earlier. No fucks given, bro. Immediately back to, back to business. Yes. Found the nugget. Yeah, we're safe. <laughs> she blamed us for all the stuff that uh, was arbitrary when she could have just looked under my keyboard and busted me hard. And now, we're back out on the roof. We sat and talked quietly about who we could get to strip for our next event. Unbeknownst to us at that moment, we would spend the next few days searching for strippers. Ultimately, with one of us getting into trouble, I wonder who that was. On to the next part of this chapter. It was you. Spoiler. There's no spoiler. <laughs> just just the statistical odds point to you. True. And I suppose I was writing the book, so I would know more than anybody else because I kept the notes. That's fair. November 29th. Verbal misfire. The next day, we continued looking for a stripper. With peer pressure from my pledge brothers looming, I began to get desperate. I went through my phone and tried calling every girl I knew to ask them if they'd strip for our frat party. Although This actually goes downhill very quickly because there's certain people that you shouldn't ask, but in desperate times, it's like 
It's like when you're below being broke or in another situation where you have nobody else to rely upon and you've broken the barrier of a civil obedience and you break every societal norm to try to get what you want. You asked your RA, didn't you? Worse, ex-girlfriends. Ugh, poor choices. Oh, it was in poor taste. I even asked my ex-girlfriend back home, but she declined as well. This is also the one I cheated on my first week at Radford, so very poor taste. The last person I thought of was Samantha, but she didn't have a phone, so I'd have to go upstairs to ask her. The only problem was that the last time I went upstairs, her neighbor across the hallway tried to stab me. Even though Lee had been moved to another dorm, I figured it was best to go upstairs with John, just to keep me out of trouble. Okay. In this circumstance, didn't help whatsoever. Only gave another witness to the situation that didn't really help the situation. Right? Should have gone up there with a girl. More likely to diffuse. Yep. When we got to the 13th floor, Samantha wasn't there, but her door was open. The door across the hallway, where Lee had lived, was also open, and there were some guys in there playing video games. I didn't pay any attention to them when I walked into Samantha's room. John stayed outside her room and wandered around the hallway while he waited for me. I sat at her desk and wrote her a note to call me or come see me. When I was at her desk writing the note to her, her cock-blocking sweetmate, Stacy, came into Samantha's room. Now, I also had to write a note on her desk because she didn't have a marker on her door to write a message on her message board. I wonder why that is. This is like, you know when things come around to get you? It's like, this is why I had to go into the room. She asked me, what are you doing in here? As if it were her room. None of your business. I need to talk to Samantha. Well, I can tell her whatever you need to tell her, Stacy said. No thanks. Appreciate it, though, I said sarcastically. She shouted, well, I don't know how much she'd appreciate you being in her room. And then she stormed off to her room. You were just in her room too. I'm sure she wouldn't leave her door open if she didn't want messages. She doesn't have a marker on her door to write messages on her board. And if she's mad I was in her room, that's between her and I. Thanks though, I said. I left Samantha's room and felt let down at not being successful in our stripper mission. John and I walked towards the elevator and we heard someone shout, Faggot! from the only other open room in the hallway. This is when it all went down, again. Why did I have to go up there? Because I was looking for a stripper. God damn it, Sig H. Is you better love with the stripper. Not be talking to me, I shouted back, while John and I continued walking towards the elevators. A few seconds later, three guys came out of Lee's old room and started yelling at us. John and I were not backing down by any means. When they started shouting, I didn't listen. Instead, I calmly told them that we could all go outside and handle things like men if they wanted to. One of the guys got in my face and said, Hit me so I can call the cops on you, like you did to Lee. As soon as he said that, I knew it was a setup. They wanted John and I to kick the shit out of them so they could get revenge for their idiot friend's act. I said, Come on, John, let's go. John and I kept walking towards the elevator and then Stacy followed us. 
she started screaming at us belligerently. It gave me a flashback of Sweetheart Night and made me think of the Sweethearts yelling at us. She said that I shouldn't be up there because I'd gotten Lee kicked out of his dorm. She told me I was an asshole and a worthless fraternity piece of shit. It's like, starting to bubble, it's starting to bubble. I just kept walking until we got to the elevator, and then it happened. I snapped. She had called me every name in the book, but that wasn't what bothered me. It was the yelling. I finally said, You know what? With a whore mouth like that, you should be the one stripping for us. Now, looking back 15 years later, You're actually I was spot on. Spot fucking on. Oh, that's what she's doing now? Well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that's what she's doing now, but with the way that she was speaking at the time, it wouldn't have surprised me if on different terms she would have been the one stripping for us. Fair. However, those were words I'd never forget, because after that day, I'd have to relive them over and over again as I told the story to friends, family, and the dean of students. The elevator door closed, and even John, being the junkyard dog he was, turned to me and said, Why in the hell would you say that, Strikes? I don't know, man. I was pissed. <laughs> you know, you know you fucked up when John Knoll says, Why would you say that? Oh no, I've made a critical error in my calculations. Critical error. You meet, You had a Me Too moment. <laughs> With a whore mouth like that, you should be the one stripping for us. Ding! <laughs> oh no. And I was pissed, but Stacy had won because I shouldn't have said anything at all. I should have just left with her still screaming at me. We went back to our rooms, and I knew at some point I'd be hearing from someone. I was right. Around 8 p.m. that night, a few hours after the incident, there was a knock on my dorm room door. Paul answered it, and when I saw three administrative staff there, I knew I was in for it. At the door were two women and a guy, none of whom I'd seen before. One woman was roughly 300 pounds and 5 foot 6 tall. I was just thinking about this the other day. You know what pledging actually did to me in a way that like I can't even break to this day and I'm older? When I know I'm fucked, I instantly become rude in situations. Because I know I'm fucked anyway, so I'm like, you know what? We're going to make this one comical, boys. So it's like, automatically, now, now I'm just going to be completely unnecessary. Yeah. Like, I'm, screwed in, I'm screwed anyway, so now I'm just going to say what I really think. If I know I'm going to get fired, and I, I've like seen an email or something that I shouldn't have, or a piece of paperwork, or somebody's murmured to me around the office, and the boss says something like, I don't know, have you been hiding from me all day? No, I definitely would never hide from you. Things like that. <laughs> they, they hurt people's feelings. But uh, I, th I feel like that comes out more when you know you're fucked, and... In this situation, I knew I was fucked, so hickory dickory dock. The other woman was pretty, and I wanted to start flirting with her, but chose not to. It was probably the best decision under the circumstances. The guy looked like a black-haired weasel. The blonde blob asked Paul, Are you Michael Reed? I am, I responded, leaning back in my chair. I was sure to be very careful with my next few words. Can you come with us, Michael? I'm not sure you want us to discuss anything in front of your roommate. Firstly, who are you? 
Secondly, I have no problem saying anything in front of Paul. Whatever this is regarding, he has probably already heard it, or will hear it from me. They each introduced themselves. The fat blonde was the director of resident assistance for the Muse dorm. The weasel had the same title and was her male counterpart. Finally, the hottie was the human resources director for the campus. The blob began to speak again. It has come to our attention that this afternoon you offered a woman money for sexual services. I couldn't help but laugh. Are you kidding me? She's full of shit. I went up there to talk to her sweetmate, who I've been in a relationship with all semester. Given that you pressed charges against someone from across the hall, you shouldn't have been up there, she responded. Given that he was moved to another dorm for my safety, I figured it wasn't a problem to go upstairs. Wasn't that the point of moving him? I mean, I'm right. Even though I'm a rude little fucker, I'm right. You're definitely right. And, I mean, I was in a relationship with the chick. I was in relationships with a couple chicks, but I was also in a relationship with her, and I feel like that creates sort of like a street. And then I can walk down that street whenever I want. It doesn't matter who her neighbors are. That's, I think that's also fair. And I also think that young men have difficulty staying away from the Vash, and it draws them in, and it doesn't matter sometimes what consequences loom. Also, the fact that nobody told me I couldn't go up there? I don't see how I would have ever known not to, I replied. The weasel finally spoke. We are telling you now that you are not allowed to go up there anymore for any reason. Okay, I said. The weasel kept talking. We are also trying to mitigate the situation. Stacy has requested that she won't press charges if you come with us upstairs and apologize to her. For I also like that we combed over the fact that this girl said that I offered her money for sex. And it's just like, really? Really? I said with a whore mouth like that, you should be the one stripping for us. That's just like saying, hey, I noticed you were in the bathroom and you had a 12-inch long cock. With a 12-inch long cock, you should be flying planes. It has no relevance. but <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? However, Context I... is everything. Exactly. Get that. She doesn't have a legal leg to stand on. I did no such thing, and I have witnesses. The guy... I also like that the metaphor that I used to describe this was a sexual metaphor. <laughs> Thus, it reinforces... Never mind. On to the sword. Guys up there were threatening me, and they tried to bait me into hitting them. They wanted a reason to call the cops on me in retaliation for me pressing charges against their roommate, I said. In retrospect, I should have apologized. But if I did, I would have been admitting that I did offer her money for sex. If I'd done that, I would have given her legal grounds to get me into trouble. It would have also followed me my whole life. All three of the admin. That's the thing about that Radford double jeopardy bullshit that nobody realizes, right? So what I'm going to admit to something that actually didn't happen on campus, and then I can get in trouble off campus for it in an actual right. legal setting. Right. And then guess what? I'm going to get a strike from that. So no matter right. what, <laughs> I need to nip this in the butt now. Absolutely. Administrative staff stood baffled in amazement. They were not expecting my response. They looked at one another with confusion as if they had previously discussed their plan, and me refusing to apologize was not in it. 
I actually think that that's what took place. They were looking at each other like, holy fuck, he's actually not going to go up there and say he's sorry. Because they probably only heard her story, and they're like, oh, he's well, fucked. And saying you're sorry is, it, is like, it's, it's an admission of guilt. It is. It is an admission of guilt. That's why the first thing that they try to teach you when you own, like, a retail store is that if somebody slips outside, you don't say you're sorry. Hey, anybody listening, I'm not a scumbag. I'm just telling you what they tell you. Right. It's, but that's, like, that, that, just that concept in general. Like, as soon as you say sorry, you own, you own it. Yeah, that's why traffic accidents in Canada, they just say not to say anything because the first word out of everybody's mouth is going to be sorry, eh? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the hottie finally spoke okay then michael that's your choice i'm not apologizing for something i didn't say they're lying to try to get me into trouble i said well michael you already have two strikes at this university depending on how the situation plays out you could have three you probably just want to apologize the weasel said apologize and admit something that's not true and then have her lawyer up with an admission of a sexual proposition, I could get in trouble off campus and get my third strike anyways. I think I'll take my chances, ladies and gentlemen. The criminal justice student in me had come right out. I'm such a dick. Ladies and gentlemen. But, I mean, on paper, I said gentlemen. <laughs> I was impressed with the wording I had chosen to defend myself with. The weasel gave me one more chance. All right, Michael. If you didn't say what this girl claimed, then that's your choice. She's defaming my character, I said. You have two strikes, Mr. Reed. You're defaming your own character, the weaselly man said. Alcohol. See, guy didn't get his way. Next sentence, he's trying to fucking insult me. You never trust people you just met when they're trying to help you with the fate of your life. All charges are completely different than sexual harassment propositions, and prostitution charges. I feel like you guys are trying to force me to admit wrong, I said. Is there anything else? I guess not, Michael. This is your choice. Do not go up to the 13th floor anymore, even to visit your girlfriend. If you two would like to see each other, she can come down here. You are by no means to contact Stacy under any condition. When they said girlfriend, I felt like being like, well, technically we haven't put a label on it because labels are, like, so passe. <laughs> that would have been so unnecessary. I'll just break up with her then. That's way too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, after this... If she comes here, then she'll run into one of my other girlfriends. and then <laughs> <laughs> the, the tide turns very sour after this, actually. <laughs> In addition to not being able to go upstairs or contact Stacy, you may be contacted by someone on campus or the Dean of Students for follow-up. Good night, the blob grumbled as she and her posse took their leave. I closed the door and looked at Paul. He looked like he had just finished watching the best movie he'd ever seen. Dude, Paul sighed. I'm yeah, you can't forget about my roommate, Paul, who's sitting there the entire time like, oh my fuck. I'm going to have this whole room to myself next semester if this right, keeps just up. Ob just, just observing this all play out. No, bullshit, right? You should have gone upstairs and apologized. Now that girl's going to try and bitch to the dean and get you kicked out of school, Paul cautioned. He made me think for a minute, 
but I was confident I'd made the right choice. There was a lot of long-term consequences if I'd apologized. You may have the worst luck out of anyone that I know, man. I know. All right, dude. I'm going to go smoke with John. Want to come? I asked him. No, I'm good. I have to finish some homework, Paul replied, swinging his computer chair back around. I went over to John's room and told him the whole story. When I finished telling him what had just happened, he asked, Want to go get high and smoke it off? That's exactly why I came over here. Want to go to Eric's house? He knew me so well. Sure, let's go, Noel said, with an excited smile taking over his face. We went over to Eric and Chippy's, and I re-explained everything that had happened. They didn't bother hazing us or anything negative like that. They felt bad for me, and they were worried that I was going to get kicked off campus. They did their best to try and lift me up. There was a part of me that was mad at the fraternity for putting me into a position where I had to find a stripper. I was also mad at myself for having said anything to Stacy. I should have taken the verbal assault and not retaliated in any way. That's how a real man should have acted. We got high enough that for that moment, just that moment, my worries faded away. Just that moment. Oh, the magic of weed. However, then we go into the next day. I'm afraid. I think what most people have maybe overlooked, although we've stretched this single book over a year in a podcast form, is that all of this shit happened day after day after day after day, and there's still stories that I didn't want to tell just because they sounded so redundant and so repetitive, but these are the major events that happened every day for an entire fucking semester. This is a lot of shit. Yeah, a lot, a lot went down. Yes. An insane amount of shit. It it almost feels like the roommate that we got kicked out of my room was 20 years ago. I mean, obviously it kind of is, but <laughs> in the stories context. Yeah, well, yeah, what's crazy is like the amount of time that we've taken to get through this story is actually almost two thirds as long as it took to actually play out. <laughs> that is also true November 30th searching for a stripper for the next few days our pledge class kicked it into overdrive we searched high and low all over campus to find any girls that would strip for us I let the other guys do the searching since the heat was on me I was on edge, waiting for a call from the dean of students. I was worried that I was going to get in trouble for calling a spade a spade. Eventually, Tony of all people was able to find a girl to strip for us. Her name was Ashley. Everybody has their use. Tony's the one that ended up finding your stripper, huh? Yep. Hmm. So, after all of that shit, and then you had just said days before... Mike, you're not the one that decides. Look at what happened. However, Tony is hung like a horse, so the fact that he was able to find a girl to do this just meant that the girl probably yeah. wanted to fuck him. For the fact that the guy was shorter than me. Yes. Uh, he was well-equipped. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying, bro. That's what I'm saying. You throw the hugest worm into the fucking lake, and you get the biggest trout. 
Tony let us meet her before the event so we could try and negotiate. Negotiations were not Tony's strong suit, so we had to help him. He pulled the fish onto the boat. His job was done. When we talked to her, she seemed nerdy. She didn't seem like the type that would ever agree to strip for a fraternity party. She wasn't spectacular looking in comparison to the girls I had tried recruiting for the event, but she had tits and a vagina, so she fit the bill. Ashley was about 5'5", five five, skinny, and had a pretty face. She had long brown hair with hair extensions that almost reached down to her breasts, or lack thereof. She had A-cups, long legs, and a short upper body, like a mech warrior. Tony must have told her that she was our only option because she wouldn't negotiate with us at all. She refused to take anything less than $250. It was such bullshit. This chick fucking robbed us. Like, looking back now, with the Man. knowledge that I had now, I could have found 200 strippers for the amount of money we spent on this night. Mech warrior? Yeah, mech bro. Warrior. A mech, mech warrior. warrior. She looked like a mech warrior. <laughs> really long legs and a tiny upper body, like a little fucking mech warrior. Or like that police bot, Robocop. Because wow. we knew that we could have got her to do it for $150 if Tony hadn't said anything. This meant that we only had enough to buy one keg of beer for the entire fraternity. We wanted to throw a big bash, but it wouldn't be feasible with the time we had left to plan. Not only did Ashley have us up against the ropes for the price, but she also had some conditions that she wanted to set before she'd agree to strip. Her first stipulation was that she could bring two of her girlfriends just to make sure she was safe. I said that she could bring one friend. If we let her bring two friends, they would not only ruin the party, but they would spend the entire night cock-blocking. I understood that she'd feel safer with at least one friend there, so I didn't argue that point. Even prostitutes bring a bodyguard sometimes, and I knew if she felt safe, she'd loosen up eventually. <laughs> My blunt observations about just life make this book hysterical. Yeah, even even prostitutes need bodyguards. Jesus, dude, how old are you at this point? 18? <laughs> yes. Jesus. The deal was almost called off when she told us what her second stipulation was. She said she'd only take off her shirt and not her pants. Yo, 250 bucks for a topless dance and she's bringing a friend. Oh my fucking god. Brought in a New England stripper. <laughs> if she was stripping for the whole fraternity. She didn't want to show her pussy to more than 30 horny guys. This you know what I should have asked? What about if we can make it less than 30? We do 29. How do you feel about 25 and a half? What's a half? We got a couple really short guys. Yeah. Well, one of them's Tony, so... so we're back to 30. It was outrageous, in my opinion, because we'd be paying the girl $250 to hang out and dance topless for a while. The least she could do was show us her vagina, but begging pledges couldn't be choosers. Right? Like, you either get a stripper that's going to show you tits, or you get nothing. What are you going right. to do, just, boys? Just tell, just tell us no. Don't, don't, even, don't even offer to do the topless. Just, just tell us no if you're not willing to like do it complete. But... I mean, from your perspective, would you have rather had a no stripper? Yeah, I think we had two. Or 
or the stripper <laughs> that we brought. You know what I'm saying? Like as I pledges, thought... pledges fail if they don't bring a stripper. I don't. I don't remember your postulant theater. Hmm. Well, that's probably because of the events coming up in a moment. <laughs> we had a team huddle and concluded that she was our only choice. If we found someone else in the meantime, we'd upgrade, but we needed to at least lock the deal in place. We told her that we agreed to her conditions, and that we'd pay her when she came to the event, but not before. We said she had to stay and dance for at least two hours. After that, she and her friend could leave, or stay and party with us if they wanted to. Everyone seemed to mutually agree. With a stripper crossed off the to-do list, we spent the next two days getting party favors. Two days to find party favors in Rad Town? Definitely an easy task. Can be done in about two and a half minutes or one yeah. text to the right person. Right. So, with that said, the next part of this is the actual postulant theater, which is chapter 21. But we only have 26 chapters in this book. So we're closing in on the last six chapters here. Yeah, it's a good time. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Catch you next time. Night.